The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. Stocks are riding a six-week winning streak as investors turn their attention towards inflation, Jay Powell, and the Fed in the week ahead. Futures right now under a little bit of pressure. Regulatory roadblocks and falling share prices reportedly forcing Cigna to scrap its $140 billion blockbuster deal to merge with Humana, but it plans to reward shareholders for their patience. Now within retail, a $6 billion take private deal possibly in the works as a group of investors turn their eyes towards Macy's. Plus, the White House finally doles out the first chunk of funding from that massive $53 billion CHIPS Act. Now the state of New York wants its piece. And then later on, the streaming wars just got a little bit more crowded, courtesy of Mr. Tucker Carlson. It is Monday, December 11th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Frank Holland. Now, before we get started, you might notice that our screen looks a little bit different this morning. Now, it's all part of a new look for CNBC that we're really excited about. Some information and some data might be in a different place than you were accustomed to than you last saw on Friday when you joined us. Over time, what we do hope it will do is make it easier for you to understand the market and the stories that we are trying to bring you. In the meantime, we will be leaving some things up on the screen just a tad bit longer, like the data, like the information, until you and, of course, we get used to some of these visual changes. But hopefully, enjoy. We will kick off this now hour with a check on U.S. equity futures with the major indices all riding six-week winning streaks and the Dow and the S&P trading at fresh 52-week highs. Right now, the Dow is implied higher by just roughly 12 points The S&P by about one and the Nasdaq just marginally lower by about nine points. Checking in on the bond market with the two-year note yield and benchmark 10-year yields trading near two-week highs at this point. We'll start with the two-year note yield, which is just a hair above 4.74% right now. So again, trading slightly higher there, but near a two-week high. The benchmark 10-year note yield, 4.252%, and the 30-year long bond, just about 4.33%. Let's turn our attention towards oil prices. They are riding a seven-week losing streak still. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, or WTI, crude prices currently ticking lower right now by about three-quarters of 1% to $70.74. Meanwhile, ice Brent crude futures, that world benchmark gauge, $75.42 there, or off one-half of 1% there. Gasoline futures down about two-tenths of 1%, 2.05, the last trade there. Let's start your Monday off with some breaking news in Washington, D.C. The Commerce Department announcing that BAE Systems is being awarded $35 million in CHIPS Act funding to help support its semiconductor production for, quote, 
critical defense systems. Now, that includes the production of the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. This is the first CHIPS funding to be awarded to a public company, and it's the latest step in what's been arguably a very slow funding rollout for the CHIPS Act. In a statement, President Biden says the announcement is the first of many to come. And over the coming year, the Commerce Department will be awarding billions more to, quote, make more semiconductors in America, invest in research and keep America at the forefront of new technologies. Well, let's get a check now on some of this morning's other top corporate stories and what's shaping up to be a very busy Monday. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Dom, good Monday morning to you. Well, sources tell CNBC an investor group made up of Arkhouse Management and Brigade Capital Management are offering to buy Macy's for $5.8 billion and take it private, though they say, though they say it would be willing to offer more based on due diligence. Now, the offer values the company at $21 per share. That's roughly 32% premium to Friday's close. Shares, however, are down some 17% this year. And the Wall Street Journal adds Arkhouse. That's a firm that primarily targets real estate investment. And Brigade Capital already own a sizable position in Macy's and have discussed the proposal with the company. Meanwhile, Cigna announcing a massive $10 billion share buyback. And this following reports, the health insurance giant is pulling out of its $140 billion deal to merge with Humana, citing disagreements over financial arrangements, falling share prices, and fears of regulatory roadblocks. And Boeing may have a new frontrunner to become its next CEO. According to the Wall Street Journal, the company is set to promote the head of its services arm and 30-year Boeing veteran Stephanie Pope as its new chief operating officer as soon as today. Now, no comment from Boeing, but shares in the pre-market uh, relatively flat, Dom. All right, Sylvain Hanau, thank you very much for those headlines. We'll see you later on in the show. Now, it could be a pivotal week for the markets as the Federal Reserve leads a whole host of global central bank meetings that may test investors' optimism for a series of rate cuts in the coming year. The Fed begins a two-day policy meeting starting tomorrow, ahead of Super Thursday in Europe, when the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Swiss National Bank, Norges Bank, all will meet for policy. Now, for the Fed, the focus will likely be on whether they will stick to their forecast of 50 basis points or half a percentage points of easing or cuts next year. Markets have already trimmed the odds of the first rate cut coming in March to roughly 42 percent, as you can see there, following Friday's jobs report, while May is still in play with a 74 percent chance with about 100 basis points or one full percentage point total in cuts implied for all of next year. Goldman Sachs sees the Fed delivering the first rate cut, by the way, in the third quarter earlier than its previous forecast of the fourth quarter. Goldman is citing better news on the inflation front. Let's now bring in Mark Hayfley, chief investment officer at UBS Global Wealth Management. Mark, the markets are expecting one thing. A lot of folks have already said mission accomplished when it comes to inflation. Do you think the optimism over inflation and rate cuts is warranted? Well, we definitely see inflation in the United States and Europe as falling. Uh, it's a little separate question if the market has got ahead of itself pricing in rate cuts in the first half of the year. But given what we're seeing, we're thinking May, June, they can start cutting. And, and maybe they do between a half and a full percent uh, over the back half of the year. 
Mark, do you feel as though you, you said you don't know whether or not the markets are maybe getting ahead of themselves here? Do you feel as though with the S&P 500 and other indices trading at 52 week highs that the expectation has already been built in to some of those rate cuts? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say is it's important to realize that the S&P 500 hitting a new high is not a good signal that the market is going to pull back. It actually tends to make new highs after that. But, you know, we're getting close to kind of our targets for for next year. I think we need to see further progress before we just really want to jump in on the broader index. And I think for us, we're looking at uh, quality stocks, stocks that can, you know, continue to have strong earnings as that growth slows next year. Where do you find those types of stocks, Mark? I mean, do people still go towards technology, media, telecom companies like they have? The muscle memory has been strong over the past two decades. Yeah. Now, for an old uh, value guy like me, I think it's uh, a little hard to see so much technology in the quality stock bucket. But you know, that's where the strong balance sheets are. That's where the recurring revenues are. That's where the free cash flow yield is. And so, yes, technology is one of the areas that we see fitting into the quality stock bucket. And before we let you go, Mark, what exactly do you think will be the big difference between 2024 and 2023 in economics and markets? Well, it's got to be politics. We have so many big elections around the world, uh, you know, and the U.S. one is going to be something very interesting. Everybody around the world is watching that. All right. Mark Hayfley, Chief Investment Officer at UBS Global. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. All right. We got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, the price of Bitcoin taking a bath overnight. After a third straight week of gains, we'll ask if the rally has any staying power. Plus, Tucker Carlson throwing his hat into the streaming wars with a new platform of his own. And then later on, the Empire State and some high-profile partners are launching a $10 billion bid to make New York a high-end computer chip-making hub. Got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. U.S. futures right now tracking for a more muted opening bell. The Dow Jones applied higher by just about eight points and the Nasdaq down by about 11. So let's see now how Europe is shaping up as its trading day is in the early stages. Jumana Bersetchi is in our London newsroom with the early action from across the pond. Jumana, good morning. 
Good morning, Dom. And also, I'm loving the new look. So this is my chance to tell you what's happening to markets on this day of the new look for CNBC. But it's not so pretty over here in Europe. Despite the better handover from Wall Street on Friday, overnight in Asia, with the exception of the Hang Seng, we also had a better handover today. We've got most of these European indices trading underwater. The FTSE 100 in focus down about four-tenths of a percent. Commodities leading the declines. Basic resources right at the bottom. There are some of the mining names coming under selling pressure after those weaker-than-expected CPI prints out of China. Zetradax trading around the flat line and Kekahon's up about a tenth. Of course, the big event this week is going to be that ECB meeting on Thursday, in addition to the Bank of England uh, in the UK. But in terms of leadership, this is uh, the, how the sectors are split this morning. We have right at the top industrials up four tenths of a percent. PMI flash numbers on Friday also going to be key to watch. Financial services up around three tenths. On the flip side, oil and gas cannot seem to get a bid these days, Dom, down about half a percent, even though the spot complex is somewhat supported over the last uh, couple of days, and then insurance down about four-tenths of a percent as well. So defensives are coming under a bit of selling pressure this morning, in addition to the miners, which we spoke about earlier as well. Back to you. All right, Jumana Bersetchi, thank you very much for the update there from Europe. The final negotiations are underway at the United Nations Climate Summit in Dubai. There has been plenty of controversy over this global event being held in a major oil-producing nation, but there is also a lot at stake here for Dubai's own future. Diana Olick joins us now from Dubai with the latest from COP28. Good morning. Good afternoon, Diana. Good. Exactly. Both, really, Dom. Look, Dubai is actually one of the fastest growing cities in history. Its population more than tripling since the turn of this century. Recently, it's seen an influx of wealthy Chinese buyers due to strict pandemic protocols and then wealthy Russian buyers after the invasion of Ukraine. But as fast as Dubai is rising, so too are the risks from this, to the city from climate change. It is a rare piece of sky in Dubai that doesn't have a crane in it. On the mainland and on a man-made island called Palm Jumeirah, which boasts some of the city's most expensive residences and resorts. The skyscrapers just keep going up, but much of that pricey real estate and its value are at risk from global warming. This is what parts of Dubai could eventually look like with three degrees Celsius warming above pre-industrial levels. Even if countries adhere to their current emissions reduction pledges, the world is now on track to reach 2.9 degrees warming sometime this century, according to a recent UN report. Add to that already more intense rainfall as the atmosphere warms. Here they never even really built sufficient drainage. So even just a few weeks ago, there was massive flooding actually. And just a little bit of rain can do a lot of damage in the streets here. Still, the real estate here is not only rising, it's selling, with home prices up 19% from just a year ago. We have witnessed a phenomenal growth over the last uh, two years. Mahadi Amjad is executive chairman of Omniat, a Dubai real estate developer with a $10 billion portfolio. Omniad is building luxury residences like this one on the Palm, with resale units starting around $10 million. But when it comes to Dubai, I think, uh, and the UAE particularly, I think the government has taken a lot of initiative, all the way to from protecting the environment, all the way to building and, 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 and populating a much better climate environment to protect the city. 
city officials have already put in place new heat restrictions for workers, and they're expected to improve infrastructure for drainage. As new construction goes up, they're using new materials that don't add to the urban heat effect and working on ways to cool the city through new architectural techniques and wind flow. But there's still a lot here at stake, Dom. All right, Diana Olick with the latest there from Dubai in the COP28 summit. Thank you very much. Still ahead on Worldwide Exchange, Elon Musk reactivates a questionable user account on X after a five-year ban. That and your other top trending stories are coming up after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Watching the price of Bitcoin falling sharply now this morning and set to briefly cross over the 41,000 mark to the downside. This after the crypto asset closed out its third winning week in a row, adding to an already impressive 150 percent gain just in 2023 alone. But of course, that's nothing compared to the gains the stocks with fortunes tied closely to crypto like Coinbase or Marathon Digital, Riot and others are seeing. Joining me now is Mark Yusko, CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Morgan Creek Capital Management. Mark, this has been an impressive run, no doubt about it. But how much of this is tied strictly to this idea that we could see at least an ETF or multiple exchange traded products with cryptocurrency in the coming 2024? Yeah, Dominic, I think a little bit of the recent moves, maybe over the last month or so, certainly reflected some enthusiasm about the ETF approval, uh, which we expect that first week of January, which I'll predict January 8th, crown the king on on the king's birthday. Uh, But I think most of the rise this year has really nothing to do with the ETF at all. Uh, We were very depressed a year ago, uh, really bad bear market following the FTX scandal, and the markets were really washed out. Uh, far below fair value. Fair value at the time a year ago is about thirty-two, thirty-three thousand dollars. Uh, we do a Metcalf's law, uh, Metcalf value for the network, and that fair value has drifted upwards into the low fifties today, and the price has just climbed relentlessly over the past year to get closer to that fair value. You know, as we head into the new year, we've got the halving uh, in April or May of next year. That's exciting. That'll put additional uh, demand pressure on on Bitcoin. And uh, as we enter, you know, crypto fall next June, things could get very exciting. So we think the market's just getting warmed up here, Dom. So Bitcoin, we've talked about quite a bit because the prices have gone up the way that they have. Other cryptocurrencies have as well. Ethereum, notably uh, soaring as well, maybe not getting as much news and coverage as Bitcoin has. But how much of this is Bitcoin alone and how much of this can be optimism tied to other parts of the crypto market as well? Really important question. You know, when you think about, you know, Bitcoin is rallying as people realize that, you know, it's secured its place as digital gold. I mean, it's gone from zero 15 years ago to 850 million billion, I'm sorry, 850 billion of market cap today, about 20 percent of the way toward 
monetary equivalents with gold. Uh, so that's that seems pretty well established. But the other digital assets, the other cryptos, uh, like Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, they are more toolkits. They're for developers to build applications. And you know we're just starting. 2024 is the first year of a very long tech cycle. Started back in 1954 with the mainframe. 68 was the microchip. 82, the personal computer. 96, the internet. 2010, the mobile net. And 2024, the truth net, where we basically move away from the trust system and use blockchains for establishing truth. So there's a lot of work to do in terms of developing applications. And most of the value, Dom, has been accruing to the protocol layer, very different than Web 1 and Web 2. And Web 1 and Web 2, you, you and I can't own TCP IP, which we're using right now to talk, uh, but you can own Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, uh, as the underlying protocols that are building the new web. Mark, and we've just got a few moments left here. There are a lot of folks who still need to be convinced that this is a viable means of transaction. Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, is not a big fan of it. Others aren't as well. How do you respond to that? Well, when, you're, when your livelihood depends on not understanding something, you won't. And, and Jamie understands it. He's a very smart person. Uh, but he and other people in the financial services industry are, are afraid, quite honestly. This technology, blockchain technology, will do to financial services what the Internet did to media and commerce. Sure. It changes the landscape. You and I can now exchange value without an intermediary. And right. for 838 years, we've needed intermediaries to exchange value, the banking system, finance system, accounting, auditing, right. all of those things are less valuable uh, in the new world with new technology. All but right. it's inevitable. That debate is still ongoing right now. Mark, great to get your thoughts. Thank you very much, sir. Happy holidays. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. All right. Let's get a check of this morning's top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Hi, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good Monday morning to you. We are learning more about the destruction and loss after tornadoes ripped across Tennessee Saturday night. At least six lives were lost, including two young children. Two of the victims were a toddler and his mother. More than 60 people were taken to the hospital. There is increasing pressure on top university leaders to resign. UPenn President Liz McGill stepped down this weekend along with her chair of the Board of Trustees. McGill faced intense criticism after appearing to dodge a question during a congressional hearing about anti-Semitism on campus. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is expected to visit the White House tomorrow. The White House says Zelensky's meeting with President Biden will underscore America's unshakable commitment to Ukraine. Just days ago, a bill with aid for both Ukraine and Israel failed in the U.S. Senate. Republicans largely held the money up over increased funding for border security. And former President Trump will not be testifying today in his civil fraud case in New York. Mr. Trump was expected to be the final witness for the defense, but was under no obligation to testify. He said overnight that he had nothing more to say and repeated his belief that this case is election interference. The trial is now set to resume tomorrow instead of today. So you are all set with your news headlines down for a Monday. We send it back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Francis Rivera. Mm -hmm. As we head to break now, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast platform of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back.
It is just about 5.29 Eastern time out here in the New York area. Still a lot ahead on Worldwide Exchange. So here's what's still on deck. Futures are searching for some direction right now with the major indices riding a six-week winning streak. What Jay Powell and the Fed might say this week to keep the rally going or run it off the tracks. In Cupertino, Apple's facing a possible corner office brain drain after a string of high-profile executive exits what it could mean for its artificial intelligence ambitions and what some are calling a stagnant product lineup coming up ahead. And billionaires throwing their weight around in the world of sports. Case in point, a record-breaking deal for one major league pitcher slash hitter. It's Monday, December 11th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Frank Holland on this Monday morning. Now, before we get started, you may have noticed some changes to our screen. Things look a little bit different this morning. Now, it's all part of a new look for CNBC that we are very excited about here at the network. Now, some information, some data might be in a different place, different location than where you were accustomed to seeing it the last time you joined us here on Friday. Over time, though, we hope it will help make it easier for you to understand some of the market narratives and the stories that we are trying to bring you. In the meantime, we will endeavor to keep some things up on the screen a little bit longer so that you and, of course, we can get used to some of these changes. But this new look here for CNBC is something we hope you enjoy in the coming weeks and months. Let's kick off the hour with a check or a half hour, at least, with a check on U.S. equity futures with one major index all riding six-week winning streaks. We're talking the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq here. The Dow and the S&P, by the way, is trading at fresh 52-week highs. You can see there right now the Dow is just implied higher by just about five points. The S&P down by one and the Nasdaq down by 17. So muted moves on a relative basis. Checking within the bond market, we're seeing some slight moves higher there in yields. The two-year note yield currently 4.744%, so moving a little bit higher. Bond prices on the offer being sold off a bit there. The 10-year benchmark note yield moving lower in price, ever so slightly higher in yield to 4.254%. And the 30-year long bond just a hair above 4.33%. Oil is, by the way, riding a seven-week losing streak on that side of things. U.S. benchmark West Texas intermediate prices now $70.71, down about three-quarters of 1%. About a half percent loss here for ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $75.40. And two big money movers we are keeping a close eye on today. First of all, it's Macy's surging ahead of the opening bell on a possible near $6 billion take private deal. We'll have more details on that trade coming up. But right now, you can see here Macy's shares up 19 percent in extended market action. We're also watching Cigna popping as well, reportedly planning to scrap its merger deal with Humana, also officially announcing a fresh $10 billion stock buyback program. As a result, those Cigna shares up roughly 12 percent in the pre-market trade. Let's now get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Silvana, over to you. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Well, the state of New York and partners, including IBM, Micron, Applied Materials and Tokyo Electron, are reportedly investing $10 billion to build a new semiconductor research facility at the University of Albany to build next generation chips. And that's part of the announcement. And that part of the announcement includes buying chip making equipment from Denmark based ASML Holdings. The expansion could help New York's bid to be designated a research hub under last year's $53 billion Chips Act. 
Tucker Carlson is reportedly launching his very own paid streaming service. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Tucker Carlson Network is expected to go live today and will be home to at least five different shows by the end of this week. The service will cost a reported $9 a month or $72 a year and will initially be solely available through Carlson's website, Carlson launched a show on X, then known as Twitter, in the spring shortly after his exit from Fox News. And the SEC is reportedly probing investment advisors' use of artificial intelligence technology. Now, as part of a process known as a sweep, the Wall Street Journal says the agency wants details on topics including AI-related marketing documents, algorithmic models used to manage client portfolios, third-party providers, and compliance training. This, as SEC Chief Gary Gensler continues to express skepticism about all things AI, Dom. All right, Silvana Hinnell, thank you very much for those headlines. A major C-suite shakeup at Apple reportedly is underway. Bloomberg is reporting that Apple's VP of product design, Tang Tang, who is in charge of design for the iPhone and the Apple Watch, is leaving in February. Tan's design team, which also oversaw accessory and AirPod development, accounted for more than half of Apple's $383 billion worth of revenue last year. The departure, if confirmed, would mark the latest in a string of high-profile exits from Apple, including three executives in charge of various hardware technologies like touch and facial ID. So let's talk more about this with Stephanie Mehta, Fast Company CEO, also Gil Luria, D.A. Davidson's senior software analyst, who covers Apple. Uh, Stephanie, we'll start with you first on the broader picture. How important is this for people to understand about Apple and how significant are these departures for the future prospects in product development over at the biggest company in America? Oh, thanks, Tom. I think this represents a real philosophical shift that we've been observing at Apple for really, frankly, probably the last three or four years. You know, no one has really replaced Johnny Ive as the titular, but also sort of spiritual creative head of Apple. And we're seeing Apple move from being a more sort of design led company to a more engineering led company. So while we are seeing sort of this brain drain in the creative and product development and design fields, I think it's you know, Apple would probably contend that this is a brain reset. They are actually trying to bring in a different kind of talent. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what this means for design as a key component for Apple going forward. Um, and it's really, I think, uh, as much a reframing of, of Apple's philosophy as it is sort of a, a drain of talent. Then, Stephanie, what kind of talent are they looking to bring in? What's the buzz about the new philosophy that you're talking about and what can expect what, what can people expect with regard to the types of folks that Apple will now employ in the future? Well, it's interesting. The design department now reports to Jeff Williams, who is, you know, an operations whiz. And so it wouldn't surprise me if we see more people coming in who have engineering and operations backgrounds. And, you know, this is a question for, for investors. You know, is is Apple going to continue to um, be a beloved stock, produce beloved products if it is more operations and engineering driven? Gil, Apple has gone through a lot of different developments over the course of the last decade and a half, two decades. It has re- really reinvented itself. There has been this debate about revolutionary versus evolutionary. Right. Evolutionary being the next new iteration of an iPhone. Revolutionary was the iPod and the iPhone itself. What stage are we in for Apple in your mind? 
Well, right now, almost all the developments are evolutionary. We're hoping that what Stephanie said uh, doesn't actually happen, that they actually don't become just operations and engineering focused, but rather double down on that revolutionary aspect that's gotten Apple to where it is today, making the iPhone the slight incremental improvements we've seen to the iPhone aren't going to create the type of growth Apple stock needs in order to to go up further. Right now, it's trading at a pretty high multiple for a company that's eking out growth uh, from its current product set. It really needs either very compelling changes to its existing products or new products, new form factors that can extend the hardware reach. The rest is doing great. The services are doing great. The ecosystem is so big right now that Apple is finding ways to sell more services through that ecosystem. But in order to get any type of growth on the hardware side, there's going to have to be some really big leaps forward or new form factors. Gil, we're just showing viewers right now the quote on Apple, which shows that it trades at roughly 30 times forward earnings, next year's expected earnings. Your forecast is one of the forecasts that goes into that forward price to earnings ratio, your estimates. What is it going to take for Apple to really catalyze that next leg higher in in the company, in the stock? Uh, Growth has to accelerate. They can't keep growing at low single-digit cost of currency and get a 30 times multiple on earnings. They have to find a way to accelerate growth. That's why we had such high hopes for a mixed reality headset. And what they gave us was a $3,500 unit that's really just there to start uh, developers going on that technology. They need a, a new AR headset, an AI pin like we've seen. They need a new form factor that can get people excited. But most importantly, they need a big leap forward in the key products, mostly the iPhone, that will compel people to upgrade. The last time that happened was the iPhone 12, where we had where we started including 5G. If you look at the iPhone 15 that just came out, the differences are so slight. There's a moving island. The camera is slightly better. These are not the big leaps that consumers need in order to compel them to, to upgrade ahead of a phone breaking or ahead of a phone uh, living out its useful life. That's what it's going to take in order to generate growth that's more than low single digits. Without more than low single digit growth, you're not going to get double digit earnings growth and you're not going to get any multiple higher than 30 times. All right. And Stephanie, we will give the last word to you. Is Apple in your mind still one of the most attractive companies to work for within the Silicon Valley ecosystem? If so, what keeps it that way? If not, what do they need to do? I would say that Apple continues to be attractive for people who want to see real world applications of their work. That's how they sell it on their careers website. That's how they're trying to attract new people. It's that if you want to see your your work out in the world, come to Apple. What's unclear to me is, you know, as the center of gravity has shifted to artificial intelligence, one, if you want to see your AI work out into the world, you probably want to work for an enterprise software company or a company that's in the enterprise space, because that's where we're seeing the activity right now. And the other is, and this is a question for all the the neural networks experts out there, is that what really turns on people in the machine learning world? Do they really care about seeing their, their work out in the world, or are they more interested in the applied research and the academic piece of it? So I think if you want to see your products out in the world, Apple is still the place to be, especially if you want to see it at scale. Sure. Um, But if other things turn you on, there are other places to go. 
All right. Stephanie Mehta and Gil Luria on the conversation on Apple's possible brain drain. Thank you very much. Happy holidays, guys. Now, as kids, many of us wish we could be a pro athlete playing in the NFL or the major leagues. While only a small percentage actually achieve that dream on the field, some of the world's richest people are settling for the next best thing, which is owning a major sports franchise or a piece of it. And they're willing, by the way, to fork over a lot of cash to do so. Our Robert Frank joins us now with a state of play for billionaires in sports. Robert. Good morning, Dom. Good to see you. Well, private equity billionaire David Rubenstein reportedly in talks to acquire the Baltimore Orioles. Rubenstein declined any comment, but he is said to be one of several potential buyers in those discussions. The team is owned by Peter Angelos. He's the 94-year-old trial lawyer. He bought the team in 1993 for $173 million. It is now valued at between $1.5 and $2 billion. By the way, that's about twice the return of the S&P 500, and that's why billionaires and private equity firms are bidding up sports teams on the back of record TV deals and revenue. Ken Griffin reportedly in talks to take a stake in the Miami Dolphins. And of course, we just recently had the Adelson family buying a majority of the Dallas Mavericks from Mark Cuban. Owning a team, though, Dom, is getting more expensive. Shohei Otani, the signing the largest sports contract in history with the L.A. Dodgers, over $700 million over 10 years. So let's take a look at that. After taxes, he'll make about $33 million a year. Not bad, given that he's not even going to play next year. Guggenheim Baseball Management, they bought the Dodgers for $2 billion back in 2012. The team now valued at just under $5 billion. So that's doubling in value, Dom, just over 10 years. Robert, there have been plenty of times over the course of the last almost 20 years when folks have said things cannot possibly stay on this trajectory for player salaries, for valuations in in sports franchises, yet the entire industry keeps surpassing every single year. What exactly is the driving force behind why sports continues to be such a money-making machine? Well, everyone says it's these TV deals, which, as you know, are massive. The NFL's TV deal was, you know, in the billions, the NBA about to redo theirs. But I think what's really driving it is the wealth of billionaires. If you're a billionaire, especially double-digit billionaire, there are not many assets around the world that you can look at that will be a secure uh, store of value over a long period of time and that will also appreciate. Billionaires like illiquid long-term assets. A sports team, given that there's only a limited number of teams in each league, they're effective monopolies, are the perfect store of long-term value for billionaires. So what you're really betting on is the wealth of billionaires over time. And as we know, that just keeps going up at a record pace every single year. Robert, I just got a few seconds quickly. If you could invest money in art or sports, which would you do if you were a billionaire? Oh, uh, that's tough. I like to watch and look at both. I would say sports over the long term, much more of a sure bet. All right. Robert and more Frank. rare. Robert Frank, wealth editor with the take on sports right now. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, speaking of sports, Fenway Group and more say they're in the final throes of talks to join the PGA Live finance deal. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Elon Musk is reinstating Alex Jones's account on social media platform X one year after vowing to keep Jones off the site. Jones was previously suspended from Twitter in 2018 due to quote-unquote abusive behavior policy, which was deemed permanent under the the company's prior management. 
animated coming-of-age movie, The Boy and the Heron, earning $12.8 million during its weekend debut, making it the first original anime production to top the domestic box office. Meanwhile, Beyonce's Renaissance tumbling in its second weekend, finishing in fifth place with around $5 million in box office. And a record 7.5 million people expected to fly during the holidays this year, making it the busiest travel season since 2000. This after a record-breaking Thanksgiving travel weekend with U.S. security screenings at airports bringing in nearly 3 million passengers per day. It's a lot of travel. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. Evercore is upgrading HP to outperform from inline and raising its target price to 40 bucks. The firm says incoming data and industry comments underscore a belief the PC market is poised for a strong recovery next year. Evercore also says HP is well positioned to take advantage of a refresh cycle among business PCs. RBC is upgrading Pinterest to outperform from sector perform and raising its target price to 46 bucks. The analyst there believes that Pinterest is an attractive story underpinned by channel checks showing key product cycles are starting to work. It's also a partially hedged way to play Amazon. And Jeffrey's upgrading Best Buy to uh, buy from hold with a new $89 price target. Helping drive the upside case for the stock is a bullish trend for near-term hardware replacement cycles. So watch Best Buy shares as well. Time now for your global briefing. Australian drug supplier Sigma Healthcare buying privately owned pharmacy operator CW Group for $700 million, bringing the total value of the combined companies to more than $5.5 billion. The merger will make Sigma one of the 50 largest companies on Australia's benchmark index. NVIDIA says it plans to expand its partnership with Vietnam's top technology firms and support training for AI and digital infrastructure teams. This marks the latest investment into Vietnam by NVIDIA, was already provided the country with $250 million to deploy an AI in cloud, auto, and healthcare. The announcement's coming during CEO Jensen Huang's first ever trip to Vietnam. And TikTok parent company ByteDance investing more than $1.5 billion in a merger between its Indonesia business and GoTo Group's e-commerce platform. This in an effort to resume TikTok's retail operations in Southeast Asia after Indonesian authorities banned online shopping on social media platforms TikTok will take a controlling stake and go to with the deal expected to close in the first quarter of next year. Well, ahead on the show, the one word investors need to know today, plus why our next guest thinks Goldilocks has made an appearance and what that means for investors. We'll have more after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. The Commerce Department announcing BAE Systems is being awarded $35 million in CHIPS Act funding to help support its semiconductor production for, quote, critical defense systems. That includes production of the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. Arkhouse Management and Brigade Capital Management are offering to buy Macy's for $5.8 billion and take it private. The offer values the company at $21 per share, though the investor group says they would be willing to offer more in certain circumstances. Macy's shares are surging pre-market. Domino's Pizza reiterating its fiscal 2023 guidance of growth acceleration through expansion in the U.K. and Ireland. The company also expects to open at least 60 new stores this year. 
Cigna announcing $10 billion in share buybacks after reportedly scrapping its $140 billion deal to merge with Humana. Shares of Cigna are spiking pre-market. Boeing reportedly looking to promote services head Stephanie Pope to its new chief operating officer position as soon as today. Pope has been with the company for 30 years and would succeed current CEO David Calhoun in a succession plan. And a group of sports investors led by Fenway Sports Group entering the final round of negotiations for a merger between the PGA Tour and Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. The deadline for that deal is set for December 31st. Well, let's see how the markets are shaping up following six straight weeks of gains. Futures right now treading some water, searching for direction. Marginal moves implied at the opening bell. Joining me now to break it down is Sarat Sethi, the DCLA managing partner, also a CNBC contributor. Sarat, this is one of those instances where can we trust the next couple of weeks? What should we do with the markets? Well, I think, Tom, we've got perfect data coming in from last week. So let's see what happens for the next couple of days. You got CPI numbers, you got the Fed, uh, and the markets, you know, pretty much discounted a lot of that. So uh, adding a little more risk at this point wouldn't be that prudent. I think. Uh, we have to kind of see what the data brings in. What type of risk, Sarat, would you be looking at? We've seen a massive short-term run in small-cap stocks versus their large-cap cousins. We've seen certain parts of the technology landscape garner a lot more attention, artificial intelligence specifically. What exactly is that fuel that you think that we want? So I think you have to get a broadening base. We, we had that for the last month. You want to look at some of the commodity space uh, you know, Freeport McNamara in, in the copper world. I think, you know, companies that are pricing solid balance sheets, really fundamental companies uh, as opposed to just kind of playing beta at this point. So you get a company like that, you get a company that's out of favor, like AES, which is a utility of the West Coast, trading at, you know, 10 times earnings, earnings power, something where you have clarity for the next 6 to 12 months, you can add to it these levels with solid balance sheets and dividends. And Surat. How much do you factor in the prospect or the forecast for interest rates next year into what you'll do in the coming 12 months? So I think one of the things, Tom, you have to be careful of is the markets already forecast or discounted at least a couple of rate cuts. And if that gets put on hold, that's where kind of the high beta play is going to get into trouble. So really look for companies that are not necessarily there because interest rates are going to get cut. That's a benefit if it happens, and, and we all will we'll take that. But really, you want to have companies that are going to do well secondly by themselves uh, at the same time because it's priced now as if the Fed is going to cut at least a couple of times. All right. Interest rates are a huge part of that story. Sarat Sethi, DCLA, thank you very much, sir. Have a great day. Thanks, Tom. All right. Markets right now checking in maybe just a little bit to the downside here for the Nasdaq specifically. We'll watch and see if that picks up some steam during the course of the next half hour or so. Uh, We will see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is coming up with the market coverage next. See you on Tuesday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. I love my cat, Tiger. And as my best friend, we speak our own language. What's that? You love your litter. He does, because I use Fresh Step Outstretch Litter. It absorbs 50% more waste and odor and requires less changing compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Less changing means more time playing. Right, Tiger? That's a yes. 
Find Fresh Step Outstretch Cat Litter in the pet aisle. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates.